The reading is taken from John, chapter 15, beginning at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to begin with a confession. John's gospel is not my favorite gospel. In fact, if I was on a desert island and instead of having the whole Bible, you could only take one book of the Bible or one gospel, it would not be John. It could be Mark. I like Mark. He's straight. He's to the point. He's only got 16 chapters. And in that... 16 chapters, do you know the word, the Greek word for immediately occurs 17 times. You can see from Mark's uh, description of Jesus going from one place to the other, immediately, immediately, immediately. So I could take Mark. I could take uh, Luke as well. Maybe it's my background in the NHS, but having a doctor with me as a gospel writer, I could cope with that as well. Luke, historian, Luke, uh, doctor, Luke, uh, the man who's well-traveled, so well-traveled that when the other uh, gospel writers refer to the Sea of Galilee, he who has seen the world, the Roman world, refers to it as the Lake of Gennesaret. It's only a lake. After all, chaps, let's not exaggerate. So I could take those two, but when it comes to John... Well, of course, there are really good bits in John. I mean, I really do love some of it. But when the Jesus of John starts discoursing, he loses me. I mean, I have to say, I identify more with the disciples than I do with, John, with Jesus. You know, the disciples who said, Thomas, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Reasonable question. Then there's Philip. Show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And there's Judas, not Iscariot. 
Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? All reasonable questions. And you can almost see them permanently screwing up their face when Jesus is talking. Fortunately, they remember what he said and left it down for us. I identify with John uh, in, in John chapter 14, where it tells us the disciples stared at one another at a loss. Now, I have to say, after the first service, the nine o'clock service, a number of people came up to me and said, I happen to like John as the best of the Gospels. And what does that tell me? It tells me that I'm a different personality type to John. You know Myers-Briggs, some of you, and you have personality types. Well, I think that uh, John, if you'll forgive a four-letter word coming up now, is an INFP. He's an introvert, he's intuitive, he deals with feelings, and he perceives things. At the opposite end of the INFPs are the ESTJs, and I'm an ESTJ. I'm an extrovert, I sense, I think, I judge. John is in the abstract, and I'm set in concrete. <laughs> so I'm not in my element with a passage from John. But just as when I was a child, I was always told I had to eat my vegetables before I could have pudding, and it would be good for me, I thought I will get down to John, and I will eat some of John and see what I can find. But as if that wasn't tough enough, I discovered that last Sunday, Sophie got to the dinner table before me and served up some of the best parts of the meal. Even she said, when she came to it, I thought I was going to be preaching on John chapter 1, uh, John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17, but I've only got the first eight verses. Well, I've got the leftovers, verses 9 to 17. And I know I wasn't the only one who was informed and challenged and uplifted uh, by her theme of abiding in Jesus, like branches of a vine, finding ways of living in two rooms, one room the here and now that you might see, and the other room, the presence of Jesus, and bringing those two together. In fact, I was so moved that I thought that perhaps the fact that uh, this service wasn't streamed last week was God's way of saying, you sit down and say, play it again, Soph. <laughs> but I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I decided against that, but it did spark a thought in me. What triggers or what aids do people that I know have that actually help them to be uh, those who abide in Jesus. So I sent an email around. I said, what makes you a Remainer? I did explain that I wasn't talking politically at that stage, but what makes you a Remainer in Jesus? And I had a wonderful set of replies, and some of you are here. Thank you for that. You're all going to be anonymized now. But there were 10 things, 10 themes that came out, many repeated by different people. Just look at what's on the screen. And these are the things that help people to remain in Jesus. They are, as it were, the triggers, the, the framework, the trellis work that help people. First of all, a number of people use apps. There's the uh, uh, Lectio 365, there's Bible in a Year, there's Pray As You Go, and people find it helpful to start the day or at a particular time in the day uh, to turn on the app 
and to see what that has to say to them. Then there's a journal. People uh, who have a journal reflect upon what they have experienced in the day and like a diary but more reflective, uh, they uh, record uh, their reflections. For many people, it was a fixed time, very often in the early morning, but not always, and in a fixed place. So there was almost a place physically where they could imagine Jesus. Then somebody said that uh, they really found that remaining helped by being at New Wine, so they're not doing too well at the moment, but remaining at New Wine kept them in touch with God much longer than just the period of that week. So some sort of uh, retreat or some time of uh, Christian teaching. Others mentioned a life group, being a member of a life group and actually coming together with people exclusively for the opportunity of having fellowship together and learning a little bit about the Bible. For many, silence or meditation, just stopping in our busy world, just stopping and allowing the presence to be with us. People call that mindfulness, but it's been with us in the Christian church for 2,000 years at least. Then there was somebody who has, imagines Jesus alongside him, so that when he's with other people, he imagines, well, what would, what would I be um, uh, uh, not, not ashamed of doing if Jesus was with me, and what would he uh, say to me in this situation? Somebody else has living sustainably the sacrifice that there is of having to walk rather than take the car, of going a bit further to get the right sort of shopping, is a reminder to that person uh, that Jesus uh, is in support of his world. Somebody else said, just facing difficult situations drives me to remember that I'm not on my own. And for others, being in nature and reflecting on the beauty of nature, as we've been singing this morning, is another way of remembering uh, Jesus. And there are two or three common themes in all this. One is that they all give us time to stop and think. That's really important. Time to stop and think and not allow the world's agenda or our agenda just to drive us on to be doing, doing, doing. A second is that most of them involve reading the Bible, maybe just a short passage, maybe a longer passage, but that's a way in which remembering the presence of Jesus becomes more real. Third, they're all habit-forming or regular and routine, and they are built into the pattern of our daily or weekly or annual life. And do you remember that... Um, uh, uh, Sophie used the example of the vine and that Greek word which uh, meant that the vine uh, um, framework, the rule, was also a trellis. You know the Latin word for rule? It's regular, without an R, but we've added an R. It's something which is a structure. And these are all structures and we need structures in our daily lives as well in order uh, to uh, remember the presence of Christ. And it's worth saying that these are tailored to different situations. So at different times in our lives and different places where we are, different things will apply. 
If you're retired, you may have more time for these things. If you're with a family, there may be other pressures which mean that you spend less time, but you do it in a different way. But having the structure, having uh, the um, uh, opportunity to reflect and be quiet are all very important. Now, these are very important practices, a rule of life, as Sophie called them, um, and uh, I don't want to dim diminish their importance, but I have to tell you that though I use many of them myself, they don't fit my personality type awfully well, because I like action. I am a man of action, although my wife will point out various areas where I have a blind spot and don't do things, but I like to be up and doing. You know, if I have um, a 10-minute meditation in silence, then I've remembered... 10 things that I need to put on the to-do list. Um, if I read a passage of scripture, within minutes I'm thinking, where are the three points that come into a sermon there? If I'm in nature, I'm thinking, hmm, that uh, hedge needs trimming and I must get round to it. It's not a wasted effort. I, it's not, I don't, don't score nul point on it, but I must say it's not a slam dunk as... Uh, uh, the Americans would say. It's not easy. So you can imagine my joy. We're getting to the passage now. Don't worry, I've just unloaded all who I am to you. But it, you can imagine my joy when the Jesus of John reaches out to me, a man of action and not of reflection, and suggests another key to abiding. What does he say? He doesn't say, go quietly and be peaceful. He says, do something. He says, keep my commandments and then you will remain in my love. Remaining is not simply a state of mind. It's the result of action, keeping Jesus' commands. It's not a, simply a sense of inward serenity, but a clear conscience, the result of obedient action. And what command does Jesus give us? Well, it's not the Ten Commandments. There's not a lot in this passage. Just one command. Love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus is coming to the end of his earthly life. And if he's got one thing to leave, what would you think it would be? Well, it might be, uh, go forth. Uh, or uh, believe. But no, it's this. Love one another. And there are a number of things that need to be said about this loving one another business. Here's the first point. Love is not simply an emotion. In fact, if it's only an emotion, it might as well not exist. Because if I say... I love my wife and don't do anything to prove it, then it might as well be a will-o'-the-wisp. If it's not expressed, how does anyone know it exists? So love is an action, not just an affection. The second thing is that love involves sacrifice. How are we to love? As I have loved you, said Jesus. So just think about that. That wasn't a, a gooey sort of love. It was 
deep and it was sacrificial. It wasn't given out of his surplus, what he had left over when he'd seen what life was like. It was given from his very being, giving him, giving our time, giving our resources, giving of ourselves is what love involves. And it's not always rewarded by appreciation. That's the hard thing. You know, we give sacrificially and it gets no response. But it's still, we are called to love one another. If Jesus had only gone to the cross because we wanted it, he'd never have got there. So love involves sacrifice. Thirdly, love involves not just those that we like or feel comfortable with. It's not that we decide, I feel like I'd like to love someone today. Who shall I choose? It's unconditional. It involves the people that annoy us. It may involve the people who have really hurt us. And it'll come as a result of us showing that initiative without any expectation of a response from them. Fourthly, love may involve saying things that are very hard to hear. Some two weeks ago, in the pouring rain, I was preaching. I was outdoor preaching at Deep Cut. It didn't rain until 10.30, but it did rain from 10.30 to 11.30, and the service ran from 10.30 to 11.30. But I was going through uh, one of their series of One Another. Daniel and Jeff have taken the One Another references in the New Testament and are looking through each one of them in order to bring the church together uh, as they start on their new uh, um, chapter in life. And what did I have? I had admonish one another, warn one another, instruct one another. Is that loving? Yes, it is. In fact, it's a deeper love, really, than just being nice to somebody because you love the person enough to be able to draw to their attention something that's hurting them. It's a sign of real depth of fellowship when that happens. Uh, that people are prepared to risk causing offence, but doing it because of love. And if it's done in love, and if you've demonstrated you love the person, then it's much easier for them to be able to accept it, even though it will still be hard. And the fifth and final love definition is that love has lasting effects. Love that you might uh, go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, says Jesus. Pam and I have been using the um, uh, opportunity <coughs> each week of the three roads in which we uh, are in, asked to pray for in the parish, and we walk around those roads. And one of the impressions, the deep impressions that I've had, having lived here for many years, is just how wealthy this place is and how much people care for the places that they live in. The gardens, most of them, absolutely immaculate. Uh, the houses 
have had restoration, and we don't go down a road where there isn't a, uh, you know, a building uh, going on and inge- uh, some, something being um, uh, improved upon, a new bathroom because the last one was two years old or whatever it is. You know, and this is good that people care for their things, but these things will not last. The new cars that are being bought will soon be banned because they have to be electric. And even the electric ones will be replaced by something else. They don't last. What does last? Relationships. Love. Can you think of something in your life, you'd be unusual if you can't, where somebody in your past showed you unexpected love? And you can still remember it today. I could tell you some. You know, why did so-and-so do that? That was love. And these things uh, are things that last forever. So as I read this passage, I think, thank God that he's got something in the Bible for ESTJs as well as INFPs and, and, and so many other people. Because God made us all... And we worship him in different ways that reflect the people that we are. And we need to learn from me, from the INFPs, and uh, they reverse from me. Now, we've just been drawing to a close now. Pam always tells me, just make sure that you don't go on for more than five minutes after you say that, okay? But we're drawing to a close. But I just want to say to you that this, uh, uh, this passage, this particular passage, is clearly directed at the Christian community. Jesus is with his disciples at the uh, Last Supper, and he's saying, love one another, love each other. We're not talking about people out there. We'll come to that in a moment. He's saying, love one another. And there are other places where the commands to do other things are always uh, also included. But from these verses, the message to us is clear. You and I need to love each other. And we have lots of opportunities for doing that. I'm going to mention three. Don't worry, the five minutes will still be okay. Three that will help us corporately. Okay, one is our gift and stewardship day. Love one another with your pocket, with your wallet. It's a very practical way. It's not supporting St. Paul's because St. Paul's is, you know, our church. It's loving one another. If we have more money, A, we've sacrificed something, we've invested in it, but also it allows our community, our Christian community, to grow and not just benefit ourselves, but to benefit others outside. Secondly, we have uh, on uh, June the 12th, I think it is, Saturday uh, week, almost a fortnight, we have Love St. Paul's. Who invented that title? It's so much better than Clear Up Day, isn't it? (laughs) Love St. Paul's. Love the garden. Love this place that's got cobwebs in it and the like. It's a fantastic opportunity to show love to one another by being together and doing that. And then a little further ahead, which means that most people won't have even thought about putting it in their diary, together again on July the 31st. I'm not that sort of person. I don't do that sort of thing. Show you love by doing something that goes against your natural inclination, perhaps. 
and you will be rewarded and so will those who are there with you. Now, the love that we show for one another is not an exclusive, inward-focusing thing. Far from it. It builds a fire that catches alight those who are not yet followers of Jesus. Sophie, Sophie had a visual aid. Do you remember she had a little branch of a tree that she brought in? Well, I have a visual aid, but I'm afraid I can't bring it in to you today. It's a bonfire. Those of you who like the origins of words, by the way, bonfire doesn't mean bon as in French. It's not the French that invented the bonfire. It's a bone fire. In the Middle Ages, they used to burn rubbish, which included animal bones as well. And there you are. It's got nothing to do with what I'm going to say, but I thought you'd like to be elevated by it. And my illustration of the bonfire, and I am a bit of an expert, I have to say, and don't just take my word for it. You can ask the fire crew that were called out about two years ago by my neighbours who were concerned that the fire was getting out of hand. They said, you've done a pretty good job on this. Don't just now just put it out. <laughs> the thing about a bonfire is if you want to get it going, you have to put the material close together. Too much space between it, it'll never go. And even when the fire's going, if you want to keep it going, you need to put the material close together. And if we are a bonfire here, where are you in the material? Are you there occasionally on the Sunday? Are you there a little bit? Or are you actually in the middle of it. Because if you are, when the fire comes, you'll catch a light. So there we are. If you love one another, you'll bear fruit, and the fruit will last. And I'm going to pray now that the Lord will show each of us what it means to be at the center when the fire comes. Let's pray. Lord, send the fire. Send the fire and when the fire comes, may we be found there in the center. ready to catch the flames, to heat the atmosphere, to draw others who aren't yet part of your kingdom into the warmth. Show us what you want us to do, each one of us, different things to different people, to show love to one another. And as you do, Lord, then give us that fruit that will endure. Come, Lord, come, Holy Spirit. As we see the banner here by the ambo of the flames coming. And why did they come to the early disciples? Because they were all gathered together. in one place. Send the fire, Lord.
Amen.